What's up, guys? Zach Castillo's here. And, yep, I know. It's been a long time since my last episode. And I do have good reasons. I won't share a lot of them here other than to say that these last couple of months, we obviously had finished up the house, tried to get my new studio set up. It echoed really bad. So it took me a while to figure out kind of how to jimmy rig it so I could shoot these and it would sound halfway decent, which is the most important thing when you are trying to record video or audio for that matter. And then we have been busy selling all of our apartment units in the state of Washington, which is actually part of what this video is about today. So we closed on our last property on August 31st, and we have moved all of that money, all of that investment capital into other investment vehicles and, and even in some areas, other locations. And so things have been wild and crazy and busy for me. And then on top of all that, at the same time, yesterday, uh, no, two days ago now, my wife and I and our family closed on a piece of land in Montana, Kalispell, Montana, which also is what this video is partially about. And so I made an announcement about that on my social media, uh, different pages, Instagram, Facebook, a couple of days ago. And the response has been very uh, positive, and I'm grateful if you responded and gave us some encouragement. Thank you. But really, that's that's been sort of the reason for the delays. But I'm here now. I'm set up. I'm invigorated or reinvigorated, and I'm ready to go. So I'm not going to make any other promises because <laughs> I've been pretty bad at keeping them. But my intent here is to be rocking and rolling and bringing new episodes as, as frequently as I can. And today, I woke up this morning, flipping through my Google News feed. First article in the feed, I see, I see an, uh, a headline that says, Seattle City Council Committee OKs New Restrictions on Residential Landlords. And folks, whenever I see the words restrictions <laughs> and landlord or tenant, and especially when it has Seattle, I always pay attention because the crap in Washington State, as we say, always flows downhill. So Seattle's up north. And we're down in Olympia, down south, and so it flows downhill. So whatever we see in Seattle, our wonderful city council here in Olympia always seems to try and adopt those insane policies that don't work. And so I opened the article, and I thought this would be a great video to share. A uh, little additional context. I have shot two videos in the last week that one of them was this video I'm shooting now, <laughs> and another was about Biden's ridiculous horrible tax plan, which I'll do another video on. And the problem is both of those videos, I get it done, I plug it in, I get ready to kind of edit it, which I don't do a lot of, but cut the front, cut the end, and upload it, and lo and behold, the, the audio wasn't on <laughs> twice. So that's the third time that's happened, and it's pretty demoralizing because you know, I put my heart and soul into these things. So anyway, I've had a little practice run on this, so hopefully this is better than what you would have otherwise seen. And so anyway, I thought this is a great video to share because I could share a lot about the other things that are going on, and I will, because I, I definitely have some, some thoughts and some questions that I'd like to share. And, 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 but this one just, it really hit me because with us announcing that we bought some property in Montana, we're gonna be expanding our business there. We're gonna eventually end up migrating over there. And it's exactly for these reasons, exactly for these reasons, with adi in addition to some other reasons about some of the other stuff going on. That I'll share later, but but this one I thought was really applicable, practical, and I think there's a lot of, as they like to say, misinformation and disinformation out there that needs to be brought into the light. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share my screen here. 
and I'm going to try and figure out all of this. All right. So here's my screen and here's what I want to share. I want to share some of the highlights of this article. So the sustainability and renters rights committee. Yep. They have one of those in Seattle voted four to zero to require landlords to help cover the moving costs of their tenants. If the residents monthly rent is being increased by more than 10%. So if you are going to raise rent on any tenant by more than 10%, then there's some things that are going to happen. So I'll keep going. The committee voted also, so there was two things they voted on. They also voted 4-0 to zero to approve legislation that would require landlords to provide at least six months notice up from the current two if they plan to raise the monthly rent. So now there's going to be penalties for you if you raise the rent more than 10%. And if you're going to raise the rent at all, you have to give someone six months notice. And the previous landlord could be responsible for paying the moving costs of the tenant uh, of their ex-tenant if the resident vacates because of the rent increase. So if you're a tenant, you give them the rental increase notice and they say, I, you know, I can't do that. I'm going to move out. Well, then you're most likely, as I'll get to later, going to be required to pay for them to move. So Peterson, I assume as a council member, had proposed a plan where small landlords would be exempt from the six-month notification requirement, but it was voted down by the committee because the committee really cares about you. The proposals were coordinated, a coordinated effort by Sawant. That's the city council member that I particularly think is off her rocker up there. Um, and then the mayor extended, issued an extend executive order on Tuesday extending the eviction moratorium from September 30th to January 15th. The passage of two bills, these two bills, is a precursor to Sawant's ultimate goal, which is rent control in Seattle. And then it goes on. So here's some more details. Uh, the committee passed Sawant's other bill, intended to assist renters with relocation costs if a landlord raises their rent by 10% or more and the tenant decides to move. In this case, the landlord would be required to pay three times the amount of what the new rent would be essentially the first and last rent month's rent and security deposit to the tenant that's moving out or the landlord or to the landlord where the tenant intends to move. And so director of Seattle for growth says, well, this is a form of rent control. And then it goes on. Rent control has been unlawful in Washington for 40 years and would take an act by the state legislature to change that. So rent control in, in Washington is illegal, but see the city of Seattle, they don't care. They're just going to do whatever they want. Kind of like Joe Biden when, he let the CDC, um, after the Supreme Court said they didn't have the authority to enact an eviction moratorium, he just said, yeah, I don't care. We're going to do it anyway. So that's what the city of Seattle is doing. Now, it does say that as it relates to the moving, I, I'm a, I'm, I think, it's not exactly clear to me, but it looks like uh, you wouldn't have to pay the relocation costs for your tenants unless the tenants were making less than 80% of the area median income. And then it goes on to say at the end, Sawant, plans to roll out a rent control bill next month in Seattle, not the state, obviously, for a council vote by December, despite the knowledge that state law would preempt it from the very beginning. Folks, that is what I would call lawlessness, right? We have a process and a procedure. Uh, we, we have to abide by the laws and the constitution of the state of Washington, but the folks in Seattle don't care. And what that does is it emboldens the folks in places like Olympia and probably Bellingham and some of these other, other areas not to care either. And so if you're a landlord, this is what I would say. These kinds of policies, as I'm sure you don't already know, 
basically put all the onus on you while putting none of the onus on anyone else. So why I share that is because the reason that rent is going up has nothing to do with the, the landlord just doing it because they want to. What, what people are failing to remember is that for the last 18 to 22 months, landlords have been unable to increase rent on any of their tenants. And so that's created a financial burden for many landlords because you know what, this year, if you've gotten your tax increase notice for your property tax in the mail, what you probably realized is probably went up 15 to 20%. And you know, the government, they care so much, right? They're all about caring and sharing and faring, except for, did they stop the increase on your property taxes? Did they, uh, did they come out and say, you know, we know things are hard and we care about fairness and equity and we care about you. And so, you know what, we're going to forego the extra revenue because we know these are hard times. We're going to stop any tax increases. We're not going to uh, we're not going to advocate for more revenue in the next legislative session. We're not going to raise your property taxes today because it's not fair. We want to make sure that the housing market stays stable, that you can keep paying your bills. And so we're just going to put a stop on all that. Of course, they didn't do that. No, instead, they said, hey, give us that money. And then on the other hand, but you can't go out and recoup it through the form of a rent increase. And people would say, oh, but Zach, they can increase it 10 percent. And I would say yes, but property taxes went up 15 or 20. If you own a, mar a multifamily property, payroll went up, repairs and maintenance went up, everything went up. Not to mention that, as I like to share, we own investments because they're investments and there are risk involved in investments. So part of rent increases are under underwriting future risk that we can see. Like, oh, I don't know, not being able to evict a tenant for almost two years. So let's say you owned a property and let's say that property had somebody that didn't pay you rent for six months and you can't do anything about it and you haven't gotten the governmental assistance, which most people haven't. And let's say that tenant moves out. How would you go about recouping any of the money that you lost over six months? Well, you would do it through the form of bringing your rental rate up to market, thereby increasing the revenue. Uh, and, and so I just can't help but say that these are the kinds of policies, these are the kinds of idiotic, in my opinion, policies that, while may have good intentions, will have terrible results. And at some point as a, as a society, sorry, I got to switch my screen back here. At some point as a society, we have to realize that there's a difference between good intentions and good outcomes, right? And so when you look around, what you notice, it's just kind of like with the pandemic and the forced procedure that they want us to take. What you notice is like, why is it that all of these jurisdictions end up just regurgitating and, and doing the same thing that the other ones are doing? And my example, which I shared with someone last night, is I think housing shows the path that whether it's the medical procedure or the passports or any of that, it shows why we end up in this situation where it's like groupthink from a governmental standpoint, and they all start doing the same thing. And here's a great example. So you look at the most unaffordable places in America to live, New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, right? All these big metro urban areas. And you go, well, gee, how do we fix that? And one of them says, well, we're going to hire a consultant. We're going to pay them a lot of money, and they're going to help us fix this. And so the consultant gives them some recommendations, and they implement those recommendations. And sometimes they do it without a consultant, but, but those recommendations are things like I've read here. We're gonna stick it to the landlord. We're going to 
take the landlord's ability to increase the cost burden to the, the tenant, and that's going to fix the problem. But what you find out is those communities continue to get more unaffordable. They continue not to have enough housing stock. They continue to not be able to provide the housing that their communities so desperately need. And so the actual problem that they were trying to solve with those good intentions just kept getting worse to the point where those places are so unaffordable that unless you're rich, you pretty much can't live there. But the crazy thing is then places around other jurisdictions, you know, they meet with each other, they have conventions, and they have committees that they're on, and then they all just start adopting the same policies, the same principles, with the same good intentions and the same terrible outcomes. And here we are again, another great example of that being done. And the next thing you know, you have governmental groupthink. And the outcomes continue to get worse, just like the homelessness outcomes in Washington and other places in the world, or in the, in the country specifically. And they all just keep doing the same thing. And then you have people like me and probably like you standing out there saying, hey, maybe we should try something different. Maybe instead of the crazy rhetoric that makes no mathematical sense, maybe we should instead use our brains and get outside of the box and try something that someone isn't trying to solve the problem. And it would be very simple, right? Um, it would be simple to try things that haven't been tried. Somebody's already tried rent control, not working. Somebody's already tried moving, uh, making landlords pay moving costs, not working very well. And why is that? Because think about it this way. If you go to the grocery store and you need some milk, and there's only three gallons of milk on the shelf, but there's 30 people that want the milk, what do you think is going to happen to the price of the milk? It's just going to go up, right? Because there is not enough supply to meet the demand. Well, in pretty much all of the country right now, that's the problem we have with housing. We have, like some estimates say, five to seven million too few houses or units for what demand requires. And instead of coming up with systems and procedures and policies that would allow for the mass production very rapidly of new housing units, which would be the equivalent to more milk on the shelves, which would actually curb the inflationary aspect because we don't have enough milk on the shelves. Instead of doing that, they do the opposite. They do the opposite. They say, you know what, what we're going to do is we're going to make it where you don't even want to be in the business of putting milk on the shelves because we're going to regulate your ability to actually be successful in your business. So instead of incentivizing and encouraging people to want to get into the quote, milk making business, or in this case, the housing making business, we're going to disincentivize you from doing that. We're going to actually push you away. There's a reason we sold our units because I'm intimately involved with this stuff. I know what's coming. And just like what we saw in California with the recall election, folks, the people in Washington, the people in California and Oregon, this is what they want. They want what they think is going to be good, but what they don't realize just continues to get worse. In another video, when I talk about taxes, what I'll, what I'll share, but I think it applies here. They talk about the wealth disparity in America. If you graphed it, what you would notice is that the wealth disparity in America almost tracks on a, on a graph. As the government in America gets bigger, the wealth disparity gets bigger. Well, why is that? I'll share all the reasons I think that is in a later video. But my point is government getting bigger, thinking they can solve all the problems, actually correlates to the problems, this one in particular, the wealth, wealth disparity getting worse. And so it's kind of like this. It's like if you have two kids, right, and they're in another room, and all of a sudden you hear one kid crying. And instead of going in and figuring out what happened, you just look at the other kid and you start yelling at him, telling him 
You know, I wish you weren't like this. You're always being mean to your sister. You're always hurting her, whatever it is. And that, that kid's sitting there going like, I didn't even do anything. She hit her toe on the, on the entertainment center or something. But you don't care because all you hear is the one child crying. And, and you're fixated on how do we make sure the one child doesn't cry? And so you start punishing the other child to the point where if you do that long enough, that other child won't want to be around you. They'll move away from you when they grow up. They will take their ball and find another court, so to speak. And that's what's happening here. They're saying, landlords, it's all your fault. And I hear my other child, the tenant, crying. And instead of realizing that you aren't directly responsible for why they're crying, I'm going to treat you as if you are. To the point where, if you're like me, and like so many of the people I work with, you just take all that capital, and you liquidate that asset, and you move it somewhere else. And you know what? It's sort of risky for me to say that because of what I do for a living. But I think that what's more important than what I do is that I provide service and value to the people that I work with. And what I know is, because of what I do every day, is that these ridiculous policies are being considered in multiple jurisdictions all around the state of Washington, and they will be adopted, and they will be enacted, and they will get modified to some degree in certain jurisdictions, but folks, socialism, communism, whatever you want to call it, is here. I just call it anti-free market. And again, some people would say, they'd say, yeah, but you are, as a landlord, directly responsible. You don't have to do those things. And I would say, well, first of all, then you're probably not a landlord because you do have to raise rent because your costs go up. Because in a lot of cases, your lender, if you own large investment real estate, they have criteria you have to meet for your cash flow. And if you don't meet that criteria, they call your loan due. They start putting pressure on you. So, but that's nuance, and, and we don't want to allow for nuance in a lot of these conversations. But furthermore, I look at it and I say, it's kind of like one of my last videos, how I said profit was the ninth wonder of the world. Profit is just simply another word for leftover, right? You have something left over at the end of the day. And you know what builds everything that we take for granted in the society? It's that stuff that was left over. It's that investable capital, right? Great example. If you want a new medical treatment, somebody's got to pay for the research and development. How do they pay for that? They pay for that out of what's left over, out of the profit. So when you take an entire industry like real estate, specifically residential real estate, and you take it to the point where it's virtually impossible to make a profit, or where you introduce a bunch of risk that's difficult to underwrite, which is what we have now, then even if you can make a profit, you give people the incentive to go out and look for other areas to invest that capital where maybe they won't make as much of a profit, but there's less risk, right? It's not about total return. It's about risk-adjusted return. If I told you you could invest a million dollars into this thing here and you could make 10%, but there was a 50% chance you'd make nothing or lose money, or I told you you could invest in this thing over here, your million dollars, and you could make 7%, but there was a 95% chance you'd get the 7%. Not everybody's going to jump onto that bandwagon, but a lot of people are. And again, if we want more milk on the shelves, then what we don't want is more people taking this other 7%, uh, making this other 7% investment that's virtually risk-free over this one over here. That's the culture we're creating. I think it was Thomas Sowell that said something along the lines of, we got to move on from good intentions to measuring the results, creating policy around the results. And so I share this because 
as much as I want to bring like some message of of hope for Washington State and California and Oregon, I, I think that the message of hope in those areas is it won't happen until they hit rock bottom. When they hit rock bottom, which you probably won't see for five or ten years, at least as it relates to housing, then they'll start to say, okay, this isn't working. What can we try? And I know that because I saw it in like 2009 and 10 when they started going broke because there was no tax revenue. All of a sudden, they were no longer anti-development, anti-business. They were like, oh, yeah, we need those things because that's what pays for fire departments and police and, and all the other essential services. But right now, they're kind of sw swimming in cash, so to speak. And, and now they're like, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't like those guys so much. But they won't notice. They won't see the real effects of these policies for five or ten years because that's how long, believe it or not, it actually takes to do a reasonable scale development, whether it's an apartment development or a, a subdivision. By the time you go through all the planning and then all the permitting and then the construction, you're probably four to seven years. And what's going to happen is you'll just have less people putting money into, those, into that pipeline. So it will be four or five or six years before you realize that, oh, my gosh, we thought we had a housing shortage before. Now we have a serious housing shortage. And so what can we do about it? Well, I think, one, we can do things like making this video and educating people on what reality is. We can talk to those uh, stakeholders, those, those elected officials. We can tell our friends, like, we got to start doing these things, folks. But the other thing is we can vote with our feet and with our dollars. And I think that's the reality. It's like if we just affect these companies that are taking advantage of us or these jurisdictions that are taking advantage of us, if we affect their bottom line by, like, 10%, they'll have no choice but to change. Because the public companies have shareholders to answer to, and they don't like when the growth stops or when they start losing money. And the jurisdictions have essential services they must provide. And when they start to have not enough money to provide those services and no tax base to further tax because they've driven all the productive people out, then all of a sudden people get really upset and they have something that they have to do to change because now they're being held accountable because people are freaking out. And so I say, like, it's like I've said before, you don't have to stop buying everything on Amazon. It's almost impossible to do today. You just buy less, right? You take your kids out of school and you homeschool them. And yeah, there's sacrifices involved in both of those things. But if we want to change anything, those are sacrifices that at this point we must be willing to make. Because what I can tell you right now is capping rent, going against state law and creating additional, I'm just going to call them edicts or or illegal practices as it relates to rent control in Washington, or creating disincentives where a landlord would have to pay three months worth of rent for their tenant to move, that's not going to create more landlords. That's going to create less landlords. That's not going to create more milk on the shelf, more housing units. It's going to create less. And reasonable, logical people understand that we need more, and we especially need more when local jurisdictions are competing against a federal monetary policy that is inflationary to the degree that asset prices last year went up 20, 30, 40%. What I keep telling local jurisdictions is you cannot create deflation in housing. You're not going to break the housing system. You know why? Because federal monetary policy is so jacked up right now that the asset that like, it's like a balloon, right? On one end, it has a hole in it, so it's deflating. It's, it's trying to get less expensive. On the other hand, you have somebody blowing air through. That's how the Federal Reserve works. That's the system we're in right now. There's all these deflationary pressures, right? 
AKA like people are hesitant to spend money right now, or they don't have the money to spend. So on the other end, the fed is pumping money into the balloon to keep it inflated, hoping they can pump it in as fast as they can pump it out. The reason I share that analogy is because that's what I think local jurisdictions have to understand is they don't have the ability necessarily to be the pumper of the air, right? That makes the balloon bigger. That's the fed. That's low interest rates. When you have low interest rates, asset prices are going to continue to go up because people can buy more with less because most of the things that they buy in real estate are financed. So in 2008, Thurston County median home price was like 280,000. Today it's like 450, but interest rates back then were like six and a half percent. Now they're like three, the payments, which is what people buy the payments, not the purchase price, almost the same. So while everyone's freaking out, oh, we have this housing and affordability, all this inflation. Well, for the actual payment that people are making to own a home, it's almost the same as what it was 13 years ago, right? So my point in all that is as, as the federal government continues to pump money through the Fed into the balloon, making it try to get bigger, what local jurisdictions can do is put a hole in the other side, making it not get bigger so fast, keeping the inflation from going out of control. How do they do that? They make it easy to put more product on the shelf. They don't do it by enacting policies that make less product go on the shelf because if there's less product on the shelf, the hole gets smaller and smaller and the balloon gets bigger and bigger, right? They can't stop the air coming in, but what they can do is stop the balloon from getting bigger by allowing people to build housing that effectively puts a bigger hole on the other side. They can help curb inflation. They can't help stop it. But the reality is what they're doing is the exact opposite they're making the hole smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where, man, if you have, let's say in Thurston County where I live, say you have 8,000 people moving to town next month, excuse me, next year, <laughs> hopefully not next month, but let's say next year. Well, if two people for easy math, it's a little more, but let's say two people live in the average unit, you need 4,000 units. Well, we're building about less than 2,000 on average. Okay, so <laughs> that means you have 2,000, too few units for the population growth. And so if you have... 4,000 people, let's say, competing for 2,000 units, the price goes sky high. If you have 4,000 people competing for 4,000 units, the price doesn't go up so fast. So what we should be doing is creating the ability for 4,000 units to come online instead of 2,000 units to come online. And we got to do it fast because like I said, this process takes like five years. If you can cut five years down to a year and a half, you can start solving the problem a year and a half from now instead of five years from now. That's what we need, right? So I share this, not because I love to be political, but because politics affects our daily lives. Politics is just, in my, in my, from my perspective, it's somebody else's ability to control your life, to have influence over your life, my life, our lives. And when you have the wrong people who don't understand the nuance, who don't understand the ripple effects that their policies will create in society. What you get is what we have. You get homeless people everywhere. You get housing prices skyrocketing. You get other prices skyrocketing because you have people in there making decisions that don't understand the ramifications of those decisions. And I think that the way we combat that from a practical standpoint is we stand up to it and we continue to use logic and we try and do it respectfully. But at the end of the day, the truth is the truth. And the truth is that, yes, there are people who are going to have a very hard time because of what's happening economically in this country. 
we've got to find ways to help those people. But what these folks are contemplating, and in this case passing, is not going to help those people. It is just not. It's not going to make the wealth gap smaller. It's not going to help poor people own more assets, which is what we should do if we want to make the wealth gap smaller. Another video. It's going to do the opposite. And so we have to stand up. We have to speak out. Share the videos. Share the articles you read. Share whatever, your own perspective with your friends. But it's time for action. I mean, these people like Sawant. Man, they're good at activating. <laughs> they're good at action. And it's time for us to do likewise. It's really unfortunate. I never thought that this is the reason I would end up migrating and expanding my business. You know, we always thought it would be because it was just time and, and the market was right. But, but in this case, it's because I was sharing this last night with a friend. Uh, so as an investor, right, our job, our chief job is to be good at allocating capital. And so when we look at where are we going to allocate resource, what we're looking at is over the term of, let's say, a 10-year period, where do we think that there's the most opportunity for growth? And where can we invest in that growth at a price that's reasonable enough today to basically reap the benefits of that growth, right? W what I mean by that is if I pay twice what retail is today because I think something's going to grow, while I might make a decent return, I won't make nearly the return I make would make if I paid, let's say, retail or 80% of retail. So we're always looking for opportunities where we can buy something that's essentially on sale. Well, when I look at that, I say, that's my job as, as an investor, but it's also my job as a dad and as a husband and as a friend and a brother and a son to look out and to say in, in, the, in the world, in the communities that we live, where am I best... Where should I best allocate my time and my energy and my effort? And I've been allocating a lot of time to fighting for causes that are anti everything that I just read for like five years here in Washington, and nothing has changed. And in fact, if you look at what happened in the California recall election, it seems to me that this is what people want here in these areas. They want stuff that doesn't work. They want to rely on empty promises that continue to fail over and over again. And the, and the government keeps getting bigger and bigger and the problems keep getting worse and worse and people can't put two and two together and say, well, maybe the problem is the government. Maybe the problem in the two-child scenario is not that one child beat up on the other child. It's that the government created a system whereby both of them are having issues. The landlord can't raise the, raise the revenue to cover the cost that is being that they are incurring because of the government and the tenant can't pay the bills because of the inflation that the government is creating. This is what's happening. The government is creating the problem. And so I look and I say, where is the, where is the best growth opportunity? Where is my time and my energy and my effort best spent? Because as a dad, as a husband, as a father, I have to figure out where to allocate those resources so that my family has the ability and the opportunity to thrive. And what I can tell you is in places like Washington, aside from a miracle out of heaven, that's not the place. We picked Montana for lots of reasons that I'll probably share some of later because I know there's lots of people that watch this who are contemplating the same decision. And I look at it and I say, I'm going to go to a place. I'm going to expand my business to a place where I'm wanted where what I have to offer my community is exciting to them, where they look at the world through the same lens, or at least a similar lens to the one I do, where they look at it and they say, yeah, we like what America was founded on. Certainly not perfect. 
but it was always considered to strive to be a more perfect union. Not a perfect one, not perfect at the time, but a more perfect one over time. And so I look at it and I say, if, if Washington was a stock and Montana or Idaho or Florida or whatever these other places are were stocks, I'd look at it and I'd say, okay, well, Washington might grow at 3% a year, you know, so to speak. It might have some steady growth. But with some of the stuff they're doing, just like California, it might stop growing. It might actually go negative in terms of growth. And if I was investing money into a stock, knowing that it was only going to grow 3% a year, or that it was potentially had the risk to decline in value and decline in profits, I would be hesitant to continue to invest. Not that I wouldn't invest at all. I'm invested here. I'm going to be invested here. But when I look at where's my future time, my future dollar is going to go. It's certainly not going to go into a place that's already overvalued, so to speak. And that's growth metrics and prospects are not very good. When I could go over here to this other stock, where this other stock has such a bright future. People are moving there every day. Innovation's going to take place. Community's going to be built. Right? I'm looking at this other stock and I'm saying, wow, this stock might grow 10% a year, 15% a year, 20% a year. And then once it gets to a certain size, just like everything, it will revert to the mean and it will go 3% a year. Well, well, in the, midi- in the midterm, in the near term, I'm going to start to diversify. I'm going to start to divert time, money, energy, effort into a place that has substantial growth opportunities. And right now, based on policies that are being put pl- in, f- in place and put forth and enacted, that ain't Washington, folks. It's not. And so we got to vote with our feet. We got to vote with our dollars. It doesn't mean that we just have to go and, and, and go cold turkey and get out. It just means start to hedge the bet. It means start to diversify what we're doing. And sometimes, for some of us, it means you, you would just have to go, right? You would just have to go and find another job and, 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 and find another home. For me, I have the ability to expand my business and continue to go back and forth in, in, as long as you know that's viable. But I think that we are on the cusp. Right? It's like I was telling my family last night. Because of the decisions that are being made in places like Washington, the outcomes will come. Right? Peop- some people are, are nervous to move or unsure to move or to diversify because they kind of say, well, you know, what if it doesn't happen? What if it does get better? What if things do change? And they say, yeah, what if they do? But what we know is based on the policies that have been enacted, based on the money that's been spent, based on the promises that have been made, Folks, if they're going to make good on their promises, they're going to have to go forward with what they think will get them to the outcomes of the promises, which is more of the junk that I just read in that story. So knowing that that's what they have to do, the prospects of things changing in the mid or the near term are not very good. So you have to start making decisions based on not what is today, but after looking at all the information, what is likely to be tomorrow or the next day or the next day, and for me, when I look at the data, when I look at all the things that I've been involved in, the, the highest probable outcome for places like this are all the things I've shared. Slow growth. Maybe no growth. Mass exodus. Not of just of people, but of capital. Of the capital, the leftover, the profit that's required to build better communities. The next great widget or gadget, the next restaurant, the next housing development, 
that capital, those people, those brains and those dollars are going other places. So I would just share this to say, think about that. It's scary. It's risky. That's what I shared in my Facebook or whatever, uh, my social media posts about the Montana thing. It's, it's scary. It's risky. It really is. But what I've learned in my life is if we're never willing to take the risk, we'll never realize the potential reward. I have a pretty good idea what's in store for me here. Do I think that I won't be successful here? No. But, and I'm not just talking about like monetary success. I'm talking about human, like my, my, my person, <laughs> like my state of mind, my family life, all those things. Do I think it's impossible to be happy here? No, I don't. Not at all. Because we can choose to always see the good or whatever. But do I think the prospects for thriving, that's the, the word I really like to use, for thriving are better in other places? 100% absolutely. And so if I know what the possible outcomes are and I know which one I want more, if I let fear and if you let fear be the thing that keeps us from even trying to att attain those, those outcomes, we've missed it. We've missed it. And, and if I could summarize, which I've done before, the last two years with everything that's going on, my summary, which you may or may not agree with, and that's okay, but my summary is one word, and it's fear. This country, this world, is so afraid that it's thwarting everything. Maybe not everything. It's thwarting a lot of good that could be happening because we're letting fear dictate the fact that we don't even try things. We're letting fear keep us from trying things that would get us to the outcomes we want. And I think for all of us that are considering these tough decisions, whether it's moving or changing your job or selling your business or expanding your business or whatever it might be, I just want to encourage you, just like I encourage myself, do what you think is right and overcome the fear. Like if we're going to be the people that say you don't have to be afraid of everything, well, by golly, we have to walk in that. We have to put our money where our mouth is and say, you know what? I'm not going to cower to fear. I'm not going to give in to the fear. I'm going to overcome the fear. And I'm going to move forward. Like one of the things for, for me that I, I can see it in my mind, and, and I mentioned this the other day, but it's like I see a blank canvas. A blank canvas for, a f for my future. And I get to start painting on that canvas whatever picture it is that I want to paint. That's really exciting. Now, the fear in that is that I might not know what to paint or I might think I suck at painting or whatever it might be, but the reality is I believe that, that I can paint something beautiful. I believe that you can paint something beautiful. I believe we can go build community again in places that will allow us to. That helps people realize that there's a better way to do things. There's a more innovative way to do things. There's a way to do things that gets better outcomes. I think that's very hard to accomplish in places like this. So that's what I wanted to share today because I think that obviously I have a vested interest in the article that I shared, but the article that I shared is indicative of a worldview 
that leads to outcomes that don't help the very people that they are intending to help. So I think it's important because it's a much bigger picture. It's the same thing with taxes that I'll share about in another video. And it's the same thing with, you know, forcing people to take a medical procedure that maybe they don't want to, right? Which I'll maybe I'll do another video for another time. We're doing things backwards. We're doing things that are leading to the outcomes that are opposite of the ones that we say we want. Last thing I'm going to say, because I, I have a really hard time doing these, uh, these episodes without mentioning it, is with all that being said, my hope, my faith, my trust is not in a better, better political system, a better economic system, a new place to live. My ultimate hope is that I believe that God's in control. And I believe that there's a plan and there's a purpose. And I believe that my job, my role, is to try and be a light in the places that I go, into the dark places, and even into the light places. <laughs> and that ultimately, there is no magic utopian formula, which is what some people surely like to think that there is and they like to advocate for. But the reality is, is, is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where people are not nice to each other all the time. They do take advantage of each other. And so we do have to come together to have conversations about how we look out for the people who are, who are poor, let's say, as the Bible would say, right, or oppressed. And there has to be room for that nuance. And so I don't, say the, I don't make these videos to come across as if there is no room for nuance. There absolutely is. We have to have conversations. Some of those conversations should require and will require and do require sacrifice, but they require sacrifice on all sides. And, and the way that we're doing things now is putting all the onus on one side. And that is a recipe for division and dissension and conflict. And so I look at it and I say, I'm just sharing things that speak to me. Hopefully they speak to you. Hopefully they encourage you, challenge you. Hopefully there's some, something that you learned that maybe you didn't know that you can share with your friends. But ultimately, the, the solution to all of this, all the problems that we face in the world, is living like Jesus, you know? And I think that that's something that we discover as we go along, figuring out what does that mean in every situation. And so maybe you're somebody that watches this and you're like, hey, Zach, I just can't do all the things you're talking about or I don't have the ability to, to diversify or to move or whatever. And it's like, great, I understand. Then put, put your faith not in any of those things. Put your faith in something that's bigger than those things. And so, you know, even for us, as we expand into this next chapter of our life, it, it still requires ultimate faith in something that's bigger than us and a purpose that we're here for that's bigger than us. And so that's what we're going to keep trying to do. And again, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try now that my studio is finished and it doesn't echo, hopefully, super bad. And I have the audio fixed where I actually can record something and you can hear me. Uh, I, I will try and do these more often. And if you thought anything was helpful here or if you liked what I had to say, if you wouldn't mind, hit that thumbs up or the like or the stars, whatever it might be, wherever you're watching or listening to it. And, and really, at the end of the day, uh, share it with somebody. Share it with your friends. Talk about it around the dinner table. Um, if you have a comment, leave a comment. And I'd love to have a, a further dialogue about it. So, again, thanks for watching this video. Hopefully reason wins out at the end of the day when it, as it relates to all the, 
the things in that article. And um, yeah, I appreciate you watching these. I appreciate you being here and I will see you soon. Thanks.